Uh, we're in Genesis 17. Would you stand? I'd like to read the first eight verses. We like to stand in, in honor of the Word of God. He said, I've exalted my Word above my name. So as in Ezra and Nehemiah, they stood and the Word was, was read. And, and I'm gonna, I want to load you up this morning as we always do with the Word. So Genesis chapter 17, we're looking at knowing God chose you, verses 1 through 8. We'll, we'll look at the whole chapter, but let's read the first eight verses. I'll pray and then we'll, we'll get into it. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Let's pray. So, Lord, again, we love your word, and we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Jesus, you said it's not just hearing, but it's obeying, it's doing. And that's how we build our lives on a foundation that whatever may come, the winds and storms, we will be still rock solid as we stand on your word and and keeping your word. So I pray, Lord, that you take the things I prepared now, break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry, we, Lord, we know we need to hear from you, and more than that, that we need to hear and then hear under you, Lord. Take these things, and I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you'd come to each and every one of us and speak to our hearts and move us in a direction or whatever it is that you're wanting to speak to us. I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would break fresh, minister to us now. We're praying, Lord, for anyone here who doesn't know you. We understand, Lord, that the gospel preached is your message of salvation. And so, Lord, we know that you came and died on a cross, so loved the world, you died for our sins, that we might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So Lord, move among us all here today in our hearts. When we leave, we want to say truly God is among us. So bless our time now in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. So you can be seated. So the Christian experience is kind of the banner quote. From start to finish is a journey of faith. That was Watchman Nee who... who who penned that. So like Abram, we're all on our own journey of faith. So these chapters have much to say to us concerning the mysteries and the majesty of one man, the faith of Abram, but he is the father of us all. So what was he learning? He went out not knowing where he was going. He did not go alone. His most intimate relationships were tested, as we saw last week, and we'll continue to see this. He learned to believe God for his promises, But he also learned to trust God in his choices. He learned that conflict will be an inevitable part of the journey. As we look this morning, I'm going to add something else now to that little list. He learned that he would always be learning. Can I hear an amen? In fact, the disciple is a learner. He learned that he would always be learning. As Paul wrote to the Romans, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For of him and through him 
and to him are all things. To whom be glory, he wrote, forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. That's how he ended that. This sort of this exclamation of God. So these are the very same things that we have in our journey. He's our father of faith. We go through the same kinds of things. This journey of faith called the Christian faith is mysteriously and majestically relational. In it, it is dependency. It is independency. It is interdependency. All abiding together in this powerfully vulnerable thing called love. Dependency, independency, and interdependency all abide together in this relationship that we have with God in his love. Galatians 5, 6 says, for in Christ Jesus, and we're going to talk about circumcision a little bit this morning. Paul, in the book of Galatians, talks a lot about this. It's meaning. We'll look a little bit this morning. But he said this, Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but faith working by love. So God is love. This whole thing that we are experiencing is an infinite love that Jesus prayed in John 17 we would enter into. He invites us into this relationship with the Godhead, and he is love. So Genesis 15, faith is not complicated. Believe God. Genesis 16, faith is choosing to believe God. This morning, faith is knowing that God chose you. So key word, covenant, it's 13 times just in this chapter. We're looking at this covenant this morning. Another key word, circumcision, 10 times. We'll look at that this morning. A couple, four times this key phrase, as for. So God, first of all, says, as for me. And then to Abraham three times, he says to Abraham, as for you. And then Abraham, as for Sarai. And then Abraham, as for Ishmael. This is his family. And he has these questions. So God is now answering him in the context of the covenant. So three things, we'll put them up there. We'll kind of these weave its way through. First of all, I chose you to be with me. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Secondly, I chose you to keep you. In other words, you're a keeper. <laughs> I'm a keeper. Now unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jude 24 and 25. He chose us to keep us. Can God keep us? If he can't, we are in lots of trouble with a capital T. Third, I chose you to bless others. As we look at, at very briefly this morning to close, Sarah, God said, I will bless her. Ishmael, I will bless him. Interesting. Ishmael was the son of, born of unbelief. And so he first begins by saying, Hey, he says in chapter 1, verse 17, 1, when Abram was 99 years old, so it's been 13 years of great difficulty in the Abram and Sarai home and household because this guy Ishmael is about to enter manhood now. And so what do we do? What direction do we send him? How do we bless him? 
is no doubt a question on Abram's mind. Their attempt to help God out, chapter 16, wound up creating lots of problems. It changed everything. But let me say this. It didn't change anything as far as God's plan and purpose. And his plan through Abraham, the covenants he gave to, to, to these different men, it didn't change anything as far as God's plan and God's purpose and what God was going to accomplish because of what he promised. So, verse 1 again, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. You know, it's always nice when God shows up. Can you hear an amen? It's always nice when God shows up. But listen, remember, he is almighty God. First time, El Shaddai. Almighty, I am the all-powerful, promise-keeping God. Almighty, I am mighty to make things happen. I am going to do everything I promised you. There is no need to question. There is no need to worry. Because I am almighty God. He says, walk before me and be blameless. So almighty God is calling Abram to a trusting obedience. Walk before me and be blameless. We looked at last week. To choose to believe God is to wait it out, which Sarai didn't do, nor Abram. It's to walk it out. And it's to stick it out, Hagar. So when we choose to believe God, we're trusting his directives. We're trusting that he knows what he's talking about. And we're surrendering and submitting to his will, his commandments, in obedience. And sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we got to walk. And sometimes you just got to stick it out because things are difficult. Almighty God is what he's doing. He is building the faith of his precious son, Abraham, just like he does for us. He is building our faith in who he is and what he will accomplish. So when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, in chapter 1 and verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us, chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. What for? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Before him in love. Having, here it is, predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, do I understand how this predestination thing works? Well, if I do, I'm the first one in history to have figured it out. There are different opinions. How does this thing predestine? But here it tells me that he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise and the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. So when I think of Almighty God... And he's chosen me. He's predestined me. That doesn't shake me up at all. I may not be able to understand it, but I know in whom I believe. I know he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. So however this works, and there are different positions, and I understand and respect those. But by his grace, he has made us accepted in the beloved. He is working on building our faith by keeping our eyes on all 
almighty God. Who chose us, predestined us, and by his grace, he's conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And I will make my covenant, verse 2, between me and you. This is very personal. And will multiply you exceedingly. Now, in verse 6, I will, multi- I will make you exceedingly fruitful. He says the same exact things to Ishmael, verse 20. I will multiply him exceedingly. I will make him exceedingly fruitful. You got a package here. Abraham, Sarai, Ishmael. Now, when we talk about Almighty God, you have to use superlatives. Exceedingly multiply you. Be exceedingly fruitful. Here's what the New Testament says about these superlatives. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working. He's working on our faith. Is working for us a far more, here it is, exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Compare the two. The things that we suffer now, the affliction, he calls it light. And then the weight, exceedingly, and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul praying for the Ephesians, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of notice. His calling, and one of the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He looks at us as inheritance. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Again, Ephesians chapter 2. Paul just, this, this epistle is the heights. It says, but God. We were dead in trespasses and sins, but God is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his greatness toward us, of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know, this life has a lot of things that we appreciate about God. But it's just like you got the book for all eternity, and all you're doing is looking at the title page, this life, all the glories that we see. When we go into glory, God's going to be turning the next page. And for the ages to come, he's going to show us the exceeding riches of his grace, what in his kindness toward us who believe. Next one. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Notice again, according to the power that works in us. You've got to use superlatives with God. Next one. Although I was formed, Paul, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it in ignorant unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was, here it is again, exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. You know that Paul the Apostle reflected often on his past life and what he was doing, persecuting Christians, killing Christians, hating Jesus. And then Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and it turned his world upside down, inside out, and God put him right back side up again. Not back side up. Right side up. (laughs) And Paul looked back and said, God who called me from my mother's womb when he met me, the exceeding abundance of his love and his faith which are in Christ Jesus. First Timothy, Second Peter, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promise. You gotta use superlatives. 
Genesis 17, 3. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, what a great place to be is on your face before God. I think he's blown away. In awe, he's before God on his face. Just like Moses and Joshua and David. Just like Nebuchadnezzar before Daniel. And Daniel in the presence of God. Just like the leper who came before Jesus and fell on his face in awe. But here's the kicker. Just like Jesus, who when he's in the garden that night, he fell on his face and he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Let it pass. There is a time when it's so right to be on our face before God. Say, God, you are God. If it's possible, and whatever the prayers might be. It's interesting, in verse 17, Abram is again on his face before God, but this time it's in laughter. We'll look at that in a moment. So I chose you to be with me. Verse 4, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. So you shall be a father of many nations three times in this chapter. Sarah will be a mother of nations. Ishmael will be a great nation. Package this family. Your name shall no longer be, fa- be Abram, which means exalted father. And that's pointing to God the Father. But your name shall be a father of many nations. Speaking of the man himself, Abram. Now, Abraham. Now, in that culture, a name was much more than a means of identifying a person. It's kind of like us. You know, I put Kevin on the badge and put it on my shirt. That's me, Kevin. So you know what to call me. And by the way, I probably told this before, but I'm really thankful that my mom and dad named me Kevin. Do you know why? That's what everybody calls me. <laughs> <laughs> But listen to this. My name, I didn't know this, my name means handsome by birth. (laughs) You're saying, what happened? (laughs) I don't know what happened, but here it is. But I I look at it and say, okay, my name, Kevin. I write it reverse and look in the mirror, Kevin, handsome by birth, handsome by birth. Okay. (laughs) Nahum Sarna, who's who's an Old Testament uh, scholar, He's been, he's, his main place of, of study is in Genesis and Exodus. He wrote this. In the psychology of the ancient Near Eastern world, a name was intimately bound up with the very essence of being and inextricably intertwined with personality. It's much more than just five letters. He goes on, and more. The Bible itself views name giving as symbolizing the transformation of character and destiny. And the Bible also presents name-giving, this is fascinating to me, as an exercise of sovereignty or lordship. God's renaming of Abram and Sarai was nothing less than a blessed reassertion of divine sovereignty over their lives, unquote. So there's a lot that's going on here in the minds of those Abram beginning and the others. So Abraham, and then what they're hearing is the father of many nations. And so every time the name was said, it was a reminder of this covenant, this promise, the father of many nations. But I think it was also a reminder of, now hold on a second, I don't have any children. <laughs> How's this going to happen? And God's going to tell them that. You got just one more year, just wait it out. You got one more year to go. You'll see. But that's what would happen. He chose Abraham as a father before he had any children. 
That's what happened. You are going to be the father of many nations. I will make you, verse 6, exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you. And notice, and kings shall come from you. Now imagine you having that prophesied over your life. Abram is having that prophesied over his life. So not nomads, kings. Not subjects, but kings. In other words, a dynasty of kingly dynasties. 1,000 years later, years after this, the Davidic dynasty began. And to God, David, God gave David a covenant, the Davidic covenant, to further along these promises. 1,000 years after David came the promised king into the world. His name is Jesus. And so in Matthew chapter 2, we read, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born, what? King of the Jews. He came as the king of the Jews. Now, when he came the first time, he was coronated as king. But not like you would expect. A coronation is a public declaration of someone's kingship. When Pilate was trying Jesus, it says in John 18, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or does this tell you this concerning me? See, it was well known. He, he is declaring to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered and said, am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priest, delivered you to me. And then through this whole thing of Jesus' trial before Pilate and Annas and Caiaphas, he, this whole thing, of he's the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews. He said he's the king of the Jews. And so he said, your own Jew, the same people that, are, that you're king of are the ones that are crucifying you. So he said to him, are you the king of the Jews then? Jesus said, are you asking that for yourself or did others tell you this? Pilate said, am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priest, delivered you to me. What have you done? You know how Jesus answered him? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to who? The Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Then Pilate asked him, are you a king then? He said, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born and for this reason I came into the world, that I share bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said, what is truth? When he had said this, he turned around, went out to the Jews again, and said, I find no fault in him at all, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They all cried out saying, not this man, but Barabbas. I mean, it's just incredible. His coronation is his crucifixion. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. He couldn't even be recognized as a human being. Then the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put on him a purple robe and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. At any time, he could have called legions of angels. But this was his coronation. Then Pilate went out again. said, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that they know that I find no fault in him. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He said, No. We have a law according to our law. He ought to die. He made himself the son of God. 
When Pilate heard that thing, he was, he was even more afraid. He went again to the praetorium and said to Jesus, what have you, you know, do you not know that I have power to crucify and power to release you? Don't you know that? I'm the man in charge. And Jesus said, oh, you could have no power at all against me unless I give you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin, Caiaphas. So Pilate went out, tried to release him again. When they cried out, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. <laughs> it just blows my mind. What a coronation, one you'd never, ever even conceive for a king. So he went out, bearing his cross, to a place called the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. They crucified him. And two others with him, one on either side, Jesus in the center. Then Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That's his coronation. Blows my mind. And they crucified him. That was the first time, the first coming of the king. But listen, he's coming a second time. He is the king of the Jews, but he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. And every eye will see him. And he will come in the clouds with great glory. King of kings and lord of lords. But listen, he is the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews will reign over the earth. In God's promised prophecies, he is coming again. And I believe we're waiting for that third thousand years. Not blank time, but show time. And for 1,000 years, Revelation chapter 20 and six consecutive verses, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years. And I believe he is coming, and for 1,000 years, Satan will be bound. He will rule and reign over the earth in righteousness and, and in judgment. And when the thousand years are over, he'll release Satan. And then we will see without any other question ever, the problem is never God's heart, it's man's heart. And they'll rebel after a thousand years of living in righteousness and peace covering the waters, the world like the seas cover the land, or however that goes. I could go on and on about all that. Verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations. For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Now he also says he's going to establish his covenant with Isaac after. He says he's going to make his descendants after him. So it's an ongoing promise that began with Abraham and then his descendants through Isaac. Your seed shall be called. Verse 8. And I also... And I will, and also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now this is an amazing prophecy that I believe is yet to be fulfilled. The land in which you are a stranger, it's not yours yet. It became it partly. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. But even more amazing to me is what he says, I will be their God. And after all they put God through, 
after all they did in, in rebellion and disobedience and idolatry and all kinds of evils, even the point of sacrificing their children on the altars of Molech, you'd think God would say, I'm done. I'm done. He did not, and he will not. And it gives me tremendous thankfulness because in all my rebellion, in all of my disobedience, God has not forsaken me. His promise remains true. Ezekiel was a prophet of the captivity. He was carried to Babylon 11 years before Jerusalem was destroyed. Before he got there nine years earlier, Daniel was there. Jeremiah had been his mentor possibly been his mentor. Jeremiah at the same time is in Jerusalem while Ezekiel's in Babylon prophesying to the nation of why they're in captivity and what they should do. And Ezekiel 36 says this, I will sanctify my great name which have been, has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst, his people. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be my Keep my judgment and do them. Now notice, here's the kicker on this one. Then you will, shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. You'd think God would say, I'm done. What I said, I'm not gonna, I'm done. He didn't do that. He said, I chose you to keep you. Notice in verse nine. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Verse 10. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Now, he doesn't stop there. He says, and you shall be circumcised. Now, I think Abram's going, really? I'm 99 years old. I got to be circumcised? In the flesh of your foreskins. Now, this to me, is peculiar. But let's go on. 1711. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So the sign that God gave Noah was what? A rainbow. The sign God gave Moses what? The Sabbath. A sign is a reminder of God's promises and his guarantee to fulfill them. That's the sign. So circumcision was not new. It was practiced among the Egyptians and many other ancient civilizations. What God is doing, as he did when he did the covenant ceremony, he's, he's taking these things and he's sanctifying them to be a sign of the covenant that he's making with Abram. The sign was that of a spiritual consecration of one's whole life to God, right from conception. It symbolized the cutting away of the life of the flesh. Verse 12. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. Who who is born in your house and he who is bought in your, with your money must be circumcised. In other words, 
This is an exclusive sign of his people, who are his people, but it's also a very inclusive invitation. It excluded no one. It could be family or it could be foreigners. It could be born or bought. All invited. All needed to do this, though, as a sign of a relationship with God. And my covenant, verse 13, shall be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. So again, it's somewhat peculiar to me. It's some, it, well, it's permanent. And it was done by the priests in the presence of the parents. It's a family sort of idea here in, creation, in conception and birth. It's a physical ceremony to be deeply spiritual in nature or in character. In other words, it's like baptism for us or like the Lord's Supper. It was private also. This is interesting. It's private, really. When eight days old, parents do it with the priests. But listen, it was private only until that young man became a man and was married. Again, it comes now to be something that is between them. As understanding that this sign that God's given means your life is consecrated. You're God's person. It was a sign on the powers of procreation. It was a reminder that God is the one who gives life. And that a life given is a life to be lived for the God who gave it. It's interesting, every male child, the promised Messiah was a male. Gender, gender itself is determined by the man. X or Y chromosome. Now, the symbolic significance of this, the sign of circumcision, this is how I would put it. The heart of God's purpose in his promises for his covenant people. It's the heart of God in his purposes and promises for his covenant people. That's what it's a sign of. Notice in Deuteronomy, Old Testament and New are filled with things that help instruct us. But in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him? To serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statute, which I command you today for good. In other words, God gives us his commandments for our good to keep us from bad. To keep us in this living, growing relationship with him. His commandments are for our good. He goes on, verse 15. The Lord delighted only in your father's special chosen people to love them. He chose their descendants after them. You, notice, above all peoples, as it is this day, it hasn't changed. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. In other words, he gave these to keep us because he loves us. He gave these to correct us because he loves us. We find that in Hebrews. And then in verse 5, then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which he, your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. In other words, when they would respond in keeping God's commandments, when they respond to God obediently, God could then work in their lives to change them, to bless them, to multiply. God cannot bless an obedient, a disobedient, rebellious life. 
He gives us these things to keep us and to correct us and to change us so that we grow. Then the Lord your God will bring you. Then he will do these things for you. And then verse 11, for this commandment, Paul talks about this concerning the gospel in Romans chapter 10. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you say, who will send into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and notice, do it. Next. Oh, nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we, notice, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Charlotte has said this, and I love it. She says, you know, it's not the things that I don't understand that trouble me about the Bible. And there are a lot of things that trouble you, can trouble you. I don't get that. You know, I'm doing a lot of reading right now on the second coming of Jesus and the prophetic word and all that stuff. And, you know, even Paul said, there, or, uh, Peter said, there are things that Paul wrote about that are hard to understand. And I get that. But there are many things that are not hard to understand at all. And God's commandments are not hard to understand. We talked about this last week a little bit. So he's saying, it's right there. It's, it's not the things that I don't understand that bother me. It's the things that I do understand that I'm not doing. Can I hear an amen? you got to give me an amen on that one. In other words, we understand what God's saying. We know those things. And God has given us to keep us and correct us and direct us and change us. Through the Bible, the keeping of his word, and the things that we're dealing with in our lives. Why? Because he loves us. And he wants us to grow in our faith and trusting him and obeying him. Amen. Verse 14. And the uncircumcised male child, and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. In other words, God's commandments are to be accepted and applied as always right. In other words, we don't get to sit down with God and interview him. You know what? This circumcision thing is a little painful. I, I don't think. No, God is the one, in, even as we read, sovereignly directing Abram in things that he might have. Now, why is that? Why would we do that? Why 99? Why Ishmael as in his age, 13? Why? He didn't do that at all. He did it. That's all we read. He did it. The same day, he went and did what God commanded him. Circumcision was a symbol of cutting away the old fleshly life of sin in consecration to God to live for him. Circumcision is a matter of the heart before God. We'll see this. You can do a lot of things outward. You can sit in a church that doesn't make you a Christian. Just like someone being in a garage doesn't make them a car. It's true. Although if you watch my mother of the car, you might think differently. Anyone remember my mother of the car? Okay, you're old. <laughs> in other words, we are changed inwardly in our hearts because of what a God has done for us. That's the beginning, the covenant. But then we are changed outwardly from our hearts because we choose to obey God and his commandments, to keep his commandments, to watch over our hearts, to hide them in our hearts. The significance of the sign of circumcision, it's the heart of God's purpose in his promises for his covenant people. The New Testament is loaded with instruction about what this is, means for us now. On the other side of the new covenant, Jesus coming. In 10 books of 27 in the, Old Testament, in the New Testament, this is spoken of. But the main four that spend a lot of time, because it's important, Acts, Romans, Galatians, and Colossians. I want to just give you a little sampling, if I might, 
of this, just to gain a little bit of a perspective, a heart, on what this means, circumcision. Acts 15. And certain men came and taught the brethren. Now, this became an issue in the early church. Do you have to become a Jew to be saved? Do you have to be circumcised to be saved? And it's answered very clearly. They taught, unless you are saved. So in other words, God's purpose in his promises is that we are saved apart from any unless you. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Next. They wrote this letter. This is the council in Jerusalem. They've, they've landed on what, and saying, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you, with words unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law. Notice, to whom we gave no such commandment. That is not what we're saying. That's not the gospel. In fact, when in Cornelius' house and the preaching of the gospel, the Gentile house, and they were saved, they actually were saying, we, the Jews, are saved in the same manner as they are. Not they are saved like we are. They actually looked at what God did there and thought it was so amazing that God would save the Gentiles by faith, the preaching of the gospel. They said, you know what? We're saved just like they were. We weren't saved because we're Jewish. We weren't saved because we were circumcised. We weren't saved because we're keeping this, that, and the other. We were saved in the same way they were, by grace through faith. Heard the gospel, received the gospel, lived the gospel. That's what happened for each one of us. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so we have this relationship now. Look at chapter, uh, Romans chapter 2. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. Now, what, wait a second. Circumcision if you keep the law. I thought we didn't have to keep the law, but notice what he's saying. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. In other words, you can do all the physical things you want. It doesn't matter what's going on in your heart. For Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you even with your circumcision, even with your written code and our transgressive law? In other words, it doesn't matter what you do outwardly. What matters is what's going on inwardly. That's always been the heart of God's purposes for his covenant people. It's a heart issue. For he is not a Jew who's one outwardly. Did I read that? Oh, yeah, here it is. But he is a Jew who's one inwardly and circumcision that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God. Our sanctification is by the spirit of the living God living in us. Romans chapter 4. And he, Abraham, that's Abraham, received the sign of circumcision. Just what we're reading. A seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. When God made these promises to him, he was not circumcised. That he might be the father of all those who believe. That although they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. God, in a sense, saved Abram, called Abram, made this covenant Abram before he ever instituted a sign of the covenant. Therefore, is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abram, who is the father of us all. In other words, it's all inclusive to those who will come through the gospel and receive what God has for us by faith through grace. 
Are you not thankful for that? It's not religiosity that changes us. It's the power of the living God and the Holy Spirit poured out on our hearts that changes our lives. It's being in relationship with Jesus Christ, living. It's abiding in him and his word abiding in us, and we will begin to bear much fruit. But without him, we can do nothing. Romans chapter, or Galatians chapter 6, last one. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. That's God's purpose in his promises to us as his people. That through the cross, the coronation of the king, all these things have been taken care of. And now we can live with him as new creations in Christ. Look at verse 15. Again, I chose you to bless others. Then God said to Abram, Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, there it is, and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Don't call her Sarah, I call her Sarah. Now the interesting thing is, the name is a modernized name, but the same name. It's princess. God chose Sarah to be a princess. And if you're in a kingly heritage, you're a princess. So you, you just remember, Abram, your wife is a princess. Then and now, husbands, take heed. Your wife is a princess. Men, take heed. All of God's children, sisters, are princesses. Chosen by him, named by him. Wow. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. I think that God and Abram are just having a good laugh. I think it's a belly laugh. I think he's, I think he's kind of got, serious? <laughs> it's like Star Wars. Remember that little guy on the shoulder of, <laughs> like, that ain't going to happen. Because he's not rebuked. Sarah will be rebuked later. You laughed. Oh, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did laugh. So this is sort of the building of his faith, but he's having a, I think it's just good to have a good laugh with God sometimes. <laughs> really? And I think when God overwhelms us sometimes, it brings to our hearts such a depth of appreciation for God. Yeah. Laughing's contagious. When my dad used to laugh and he get going, you know how it is when you can't stop laughing? He start laughing, it just was infectious. And he just he's, you know, when somebody gets they can't stop from laughing. He, I think that's kind of what he, he's just laughing. <laughs> and God's joining. There's just this great, yeah, okay. Uh, and Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael that lived before you. So on his heart clearly is his son Ishmael. Nothing wrong with that. He loves his son. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall be which bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. God's saying, it's going to go on, Abram. It's going to go on way when you're done. And then for Ishmael, I've heard you. And listen, I think sometimes when we fall down before God, what we need to realize is that he heard me. He heard me. 
He's, he's in a sense, what about Ishmael? What about Ishmael? And God says there, as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him for, and I, parents, I get this, we understand. Sometimes you're on your face before God for your child. What's going to happen? Where is he going? What's going to be taking place? And I think there's those times when you fall before God and you say, I've heard you. And you keep at it in prayer. He shall beget 12 princes, make a great nation. My covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear with you in a set time. No, another, set, another year. Verse 22, then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. You know what I think? He's saying, okay, Abraham, what are you going to do? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to obey me? Are you going to do what I've just told you to do? And we read, so Abram took Ishmael, his son, started with Ishmael. All who were born to his house and all who were bought with money, every male among the men of Abram's house, and he circumcised them. He did what God told him to do. All the way down the line. All the men of his house, verse 27, born in the house, bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And so what is the sign of circumcision? The heart of God's purpose in his promises for his covenant people. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.